News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. If you really are trying to censor political opponents to shut them down, remove them from the discussion, but you live in a liberal democracy, it's kind of tough to do that sometimes. Hence, the benefit of what is referred to as the blue stack. The blue stack is a term Zaid Jalani writes about a tablet magazine. And uh, he calls this collection of people and organizations, progressive nonprofits, uh, a lot of uh, por- you know portions and people in the news media, woke corporations, Democrats in government. They represent an enforcement mechanism for the ruling ideology to express hegemony over American democracy, to get everybody united in one idea of what is right and wrong, what is true and what is not. The Blue Stack presents America's elite with something they've craved but has been out of reach in a liberal democracy, which is the power to swiftly crush ideological opponents by silencing them and destroying their livelihoods. Typically, American cultural, business, and communications systems have been too decentralized and too diffuse to allow one ideological faction to express power in that way. American elites, unlike their Chinese counterparts, have never had the ability to imprison people for wrong think or to de-rank undesirables in a social credit system, which, by the way, if you don't think that's what we're watching happen up now in Canada, you're kidding yourself. That is exactly what's going on. I've got some stuff in the stack today about that, too. But the alliance between the media, progressive activists, certain government officials and bureaucrats, along with tech firms and other powerful institutions like business and banking, it now allows them to shape events through what uh, a fellow by the name of Wesley Yang at Tablet has called the vertical messaging apparatus. Okay, When a politically inconvenient story appears at an inopportune time, one about, say, oh, I don't know, just to pick a random story like uh, just spitballing here, like the corruption of the Democratic presidential candidate's son. Maybe something like that, like with a laptop right before an election, something like that. The blue stack takes unified action to quickly suppress it. Dozens of former officials from the intel community can sign a letter baselessly insinuating that the Hunter Biden story was just Russian disinformation. And the mainstream media can publish that letter. Social media companies friendly to or fearful of the Democratic Party. They can collude to limit access to the original reporting as well. They did all of that in the run up to the election. All of it. Almost as effective as the blue stack is in suppressing stories, it's even more impressive when it creates them, just makes up stuff. Events that would have been a minor footnote in a local newspaper get turned into viral moments with which all Americans are then called upon to reckon, right? Remember the the, the bird watcher guy in Central Park? And the he was black and there was a dog walker girl. She's white. And, she, and that interaction goes viral. And then all of a sudden we have like a, you know, 2,500-word stories that rattle the nation. Why? Because it serves the Blue Stack's interests. What are those interests? Stoking racial tensions. That's the point. 
This ties back to the story that Hal Weatherman told Chad Adams uh, last week, where Hal Weatherman used to be the chief of staff, I believe was his official title with, um, or maybe not, maybe he was campaign manager, but uh, he was with Dan Forrest. He worked with Dan Forrest when he was lieutenant governor. And he tells, he told the story of how when uh, Dan first got reelected and Roy Cooper first won after the 2016 race, Cooper could not attend an event with all of these other governors of the original 13 colonies. There was some sort of um, constitution or, or uh, you know, colonial era type of event, and they all of the governors of the original 13 colonies were invited. Cooper could not attend, scheduling conflict or something, and so he asked Dan Forrest to go, and Dan went, and Hal Weatherman went with him. And Weatherman tells the story of how Terry McAuliffe and Ed Rendell the governors of Virginia and Pennsylvania, respectively, were talking to Dan Forrest in his presence, thinking he was a Democrat and laying out the plan to sue over the redistricting maps. This was back in 2016. And to keep doing it, to keep casting Republicans as racists, because even if they lose the lawsuits, the purpose was to sow division, racial animus. That was the point. Because they needed the votes. And I've been saying this for years. That if black voters vote like every other racial demographic in America, Democrats don't win. And that day will come, by the way. That day will come. And I'm, I'm hoping that it comes a lot more quickly. It's kind of slow. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of slowed down. But no, I mean, like, I am encouraged by some of the stuff that I'm seeing on critical race theory. I'm encouraged by, like, by the pushback, by the response, by the defund the police stuff. Like, people are waking up and saying these, these messages that the Democrats have gone all in on are not helping the communities that they say they're interested in helping. The social media giant Facebook also, you'll recall, went from actively suppressing anti-lockdown protests. Remember that? I do. They went up. Remember, there was uh, folks that went to the governor's mansion here in um, in Raleigh. They went up there. They were protesting. And what happened? Media cast them as trying to kill grandma. Cast me, too. They were casting me as trying to kill grandma just because I was like, hey, maybe these lockdowns shouldn't last forever. Hey, maybe the governor shouldn't be given a blank check for power. Hey, I don't think that's what the original intent of the Emergency Management Act said. You're trying to kill grandma, Pete. Why do you want people to die? But remember, Black Lives Matter protests erupt during the summer of 2020, and everybody is now free to violate all of the pandemic protocols. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg had plenty of cover as public health experts who became newly minted members of the Blue Stack. They began urging people to ignore the pandemic restrictions and take to the streets. Major corporations in America followed suit, effectively endorsing a movement that whatever its promised upsides might have been, it divided most Americans. As a crucial member of the Blue Stack, a media that had once at least aspired to the appearance of impartiality pulled its weight Reuters, for example, fired one of its data scientists for questioning the data that was used to justify the Black Lives Matter policy platform, such as it was. They fired somebody 
because they ran an analysis of the data and said, hey, I don't actually think like the data doesn't support like this is like the cops are out there hunting people down in the streets every day. Like that's not it's not actually happening by the data. Oh, and look at this data point like whites are actually more likely to get shot and killed and that sort of thing. Like, oh, no, got it. Got to get rid of that voice. Fired him. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Glenn Greenwald talking about the same sort of response uh, that Zaid Jelani is writing about at Tablet Magazine. He calls it the blue stack. Glenn Greenwald just calls them the elites. He says this is why it's so imperative for the Democratic Party and their media allies to describe the January 6th riot, a four-hour riot at the Capitol, as an insurrection and an attempted coup. If those are mere protests or even just, you know, rioters, then all the standard protections and legal safeguards apply to them, as liberals demanded be applied to protect Black Lives Matter and Antifa protesters, even ones who used violence. If, however, they're part of a broader insurrectionary movement, you know, an ongoing attempt to overthrow the U.S. government, well, then they're elevated from ordinary political adversaries into a faction of sustained criminality and everything and anything from censorship and detention to extra legal means of banishment, like no fly lists or exclusion from the financial system. All of that becomes justified. Why even necessary? This is what we're seeing right now in Canada. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's emergency orders that uh, were enacted to break up the trucker convoy, the freedom convoy, the protest. They cut off funds to protesters, right? That was the idea, was freeze their bank accounts so they, they don't have any money now. And then they had their families targeted as well. Their money got frozen too. It was a way to break the protest. But here's what we now know. It's more than that. It's more than just the bank accounts. It includes portfolio managers, securities dealers. The new rules make demands of a broad list of entities, including banks, portfolio managers, credit unions, loan companies, securities firms, fundraising platforms, insurance companies, and fraternal benefit societies. They must determine whether they are in possession or control of property of a person who's attending an illegal protest or providing supplies to one. These were people uh, that were, you know, bringing bottled water. Not to throw at people like BLM and Antifa did. No, no, no. But bottled water to, you know, hydrate, to drink. And so now they're targeted as well. This is essentially the, the social credit system. That's the whole point is you get into these systems and then they can shut it all down. I'm a big believer in cash now. Yeah. The last year, the last year has told me best to keep a bunch of cash. So I've uh, dug a hole in my yard. No, I'm kidding. I have silver. You should have some silver. Um, they come in coin form. God forbid I ever need to use it, you know. I don't have a lot of it, but I got a couple coins. But I, I always kind of worried about, like, people say, like, buy gold. And, you know, I recommend that, too. You should buy gold if you want to. Um, but, uh, like, what happens if we are in the post-apocalypse era and, like, I have to, like, I got this 
this chunk of gold, like, to like, like take a shaving off of it or something. So the coins make a great uh, solution for that sort of stuff. Anyway, um, back to Zaid Jelani's piece. He says it's no exaggeration. Oh, sorry, I jumped ahead. My bad. Hang on, let me back up because he talks about the payment processors that they have now joined the ranks of the blue stack. If you find yourself too far astray from the ideas that the blue stack deems acceptable, GoFundMe might take you off their platform. PayPal might refuse to process your payments. Donors who gave millions of dollars to support a nonviolent protest led by the Canadian truckers were surprised to find that GoFundMe terminated their fundraiser, which of course won GoFundMe praise from Canadian authorities. When disgraced New York Governor Andrew Cuomo became too much of an embarrassment for the Blue Stack, Act Blue, the progressive fundraising platform that now exerts a near monopoly over the movement's online donors, kicked him off of their platform. That crippled his ability to raise money for any future campaign. This is how they enforce their hegemony. That this is the mechanism. It is not an exaggeration to say that this vertically integrated aristocracy threatens the liberal democratic nature of our country. Institutions like the media, major corporations, and the government, they don't naturally align this way except in the most extreme circumstances when the general public itself may be naturally united like in the immediate aftermath of an initial external shock like Pearl Harbor or 9-11. But to the functionaries of the blue stack... Every day might as well be 9-11. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. To the functionaries of the blue stack, every day might be a 9-11. It might as well. There's always some form of crisis that demands complete uniformity of thought across all sectors of U.S. society. Right? It's actually more like 9-12, like how everybody felt like there's this, you know, unifying thing, this feeling that everyone had after 9-11. And that's what the blue stack requires. If you step out of line, you can be disappeared. Don't believe that? Uh, how about Donald Trump? Right? He's oh today, right? Today is Truth Social Day, right? And that yeah, they're doing they're launching that uh, the new platform today. Um, in its current arrangement, the blue stack is unsustainable, though, because if you keep marginalizing large chunks of the country you end up with more polarization and even more suspicion between ordinary Americans and elites. What the United States needs now more than anything is trust, he says. Trying to berate and bully ordinary people and the outlets they enjoy into submission will only push them into ever darker modes of thought. For the sake of democracy, we have to find a way to break up the blue stack and reinvigorate pluralism in the United States. Um, that's, again, Zaid Jelani. That's J-I-L-A-N-I. The Blue Stack Strikes Back is the name of the piece. It is over at tabletmag.com, Tablet Magazine. And I like I know I read a bunch from that piece, but um, it's very lengthy. I gave you the highlights, but it's it's way lengthier. Meanwhile, you've got Black Lives Matter that has now been deplatformed from Amazon Smile, which, full disclosure, I was not even aware this existed. Amazon Smile, a charity platform? I did not know that. Um, 
so uh, this happened uh, a couple days ago after some reporting on uh, its financial mm, dealings. Because in 2020, it took in a lot of money. And then the uh, the founder and the what CEO or president of the organization went around buying houses. <laughs> and people started raising some questions about, oh, wait a minute. What are you doing with all the money? Are you just buying houses for yourself? I mean, she is black and her life matters. And so I can see why you would think like you buying all these houses might help you and your black life matter or something. But like the idea was you got all this money to help with the cause, right? So what has happened now is that uh, Amazon has taken them off of its charity platform and uh, the move deprives Black Lives Matter of a major revenue source that has provided $306 million to U.S. charities, so that's across the whole platform, and comes less than two years after Amazon itself donated $10 million to Black Lives Matter and 11 other social justice groups amid the nationwide unrest spurred by George Floyd's killing. BLM co-founder Patrice Cullors, who resigned from BLM in May, said last week that the unaccounted millions that her group received in 2020. Did you hear what did you hear this quote? Here's what she said. Quote, people have to know we didn't go out and solicit the money. This is money that came from white guilt, white corporation guilt. They just poured money in. And she's not wrong. (laughs) She's not wrong. People just started throwing money at her organization. They didn't have to promise to do anything with it. They made, they were just like, hey, we're Black Lives Matter. And a bunch of white corporations were like, here, take my money. The Amazon spokesperson declined to clarify exactly how much Amazon donated to Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, the charity that serves as the face of the national BLM movement. The spokesperson also declined to clarify if the online retail giant has made any effort to verify whether BLM used its contribution for charitable purposes. Amazon is the most prominent corporation to now break from BLM publicly after having financially supported the group during the 2020 riots. Now, BLM, according to the story at the Washington Examiner, uh, voluntarily shut down its online fundraising Earlier this month, February 2nd, after California and Washington issued legal threats to them because they had not reported what they had done with all of the millions of dollars that they had gotten in the second half of 2020. And uh, it says here, BLM published a report in February 2021 claiming to have ended 2020 with $60 million in its coffers. And that's like that's like producer Ryan, sixty million in a year. Uh, filings reported. I'm sorry. As of Wednesday, BLM remains out of compliance in California and Washington, as well as New Jersey, Connecticut, Colorado, Maryland, Maine, Virginia, and North Carolina. Out of compliance on the financials. Filings reported by the Washington Examiner revealed that BLM recently retained the services of a law firm 
Anybody want to take a wild guess who the lawyer is that's now that? Yeah, huh? Yeah, that's right. It's Mark Elias, best known for his funding of the discredited anti-Trump steel dossier while he served as Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign general counsel. I view his hiring as the insurance policy. That's the way that the stack is going to protect itself here. You hire on Mark Elias and he, he'll, he'll make sure that he'll make sure that, you know, that you're going to get a slap on the wrist. It'll be something you can live with, but it's, you're not going to prison over this. Don't worry. Don't you worry. Matt Lewis at the daily beast writes about Democrats losing the culture wars. Why? Because they're blindly pushing progressive ideals. Joe Biden's not floundering alone in the current culture war. The whole party's brand has chosen the wrong side of some hot-button issues. Ranging from soft-on-crime policies, to COVID-19 shutdowns, to critical race theory. It's gotten so bad, according to Politico, the Democratic Party's congressional campaign arm is warning their candidates, quote, They risk losing significant ground to Republicans in the midterms. If Democrats do not adequately respond to Republican attacks on these culture war issues, party operatives say that the GOP's lead on the generic ballot balloons to 14 points. That could be the difference between a red wave and a red tsunami. Which uh, was actually the name of my karate club uh, back in uh, junior high. Tsunami. I, I kid. I kid. News Talk 1110 and 993 WBT 704-570-1110. And 1-800-WBT-1110. And let me go over here. I'll get Frank. Hello, Frank. Welcome to the program. How are you? I, I, I'm fine, Pete. How you doing? I'm good. What's up? L- listen, you know, you were talking about the Canadian denial of access by truckers to their own property. Banking, investment oil. Yeah. The, the light just went off. That's akin to um, uh, being arrested and punished with no trial in between. Yeah, it's a taking. Yeah. Yeah, it's a taking. Now, That's I don't know Canadian law. Yeah, I, I don't know what the Canadian law is. And, you know, obviously, uh, it's crazy um, to allow that to have occurred. Um, but yeah, to me, that is that is an illegal taking that the government just engaged in. Those those truckers are becoming non entities, non persons. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, no, I appreciate the call, Frank. Thanks, man. Um, it 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 is scary. It should be scary. And if you think that they won't do it to you, if you cross them on something. Like, I'm not sure that people have actually thought this through. The signals you're sending to everybody else, yes, it's going to make a whole group of people cower in fear, but it's also going to really hack off a whole bunch of other people. <laughs> I see now they're planning a uh, a trucker convoy, a freedom convoy for Washington, D.C. They want to they uh, circle the city, basically to lay siege to the city. This is what I'm talking about, like, you, you keep pushing people like this. These are the responses you're going to see. And maybe that's the desired intent. I don't know. Um, so back to this piece by Matt Lewis at the Daily Beast. Um, 
it's tempting to dismiss the culture war as a as just ginned up or phony, right? But the problem with brushing off the culture war writ large is that culture is everything. Culture is everything. People who dismiss, and I've, I've been amazed how many people fall in uh, fall for this uh, this trick, which is, oh, I don't want to get all wrapped up in these culture fights and stuff. Do you understand what the culture fights are? Right, politics is downstream of the culture. You don't get to the political policy debates. You don't even get there until the culture sends you there. So I welcome those culture fights because that's what this is all about. Right? That's that's the whole point. So um, he says, Matt Lewis goes on to say, Democrats should not dismiss people's concerns about their culture being threatened as beneath them, uh, being threatened as beneath them. Oh, I'm sorry. I misread. I misread. I misread. Totally my fault. Democrats should not dismiss people's concerns about their culture being threatened as beneath them because it encompasses a person's way of life. It includes their institutions, their worldview, and sacred values. Right. It's the way we live. This is why, you know, Limbaugh used to say this too, that people live mostly as conservative. People in their own personal lives live mostly as, quote, the silent majority conservative-leaning. This is what the fella uh, who was on with Vince today, um, who's running for uh, office, and he came down and spoke at the uh, uh, was it a county commission or a school board meeting. He's a, a black guy, but he was you know totally against the critical race theory stuff. And he's like, "You're," a, he says, "If you're promoting that stuff, you're a liar because you're demanding that I treat people differently than I know them to be." He says, "I have white neighbors." I have black neighbors, I have Hispanic neighbors, and what you're telling me requires me to ignore my own lived experiences with these other people. When change is either perceived as harmful to somebody's way of life or is radically thrust upon them, you should expect a backlash, a pretty big one. That is what is happening now. You may wonder how the Democratic Party preemptively and prematurely picked a culture war fight that they could not win. Matt Lewis says it's because, A, ideology is blinding to a lot of people, and B, they assumed a coalition of the ascendant, right? This was the whole uh, demographics is destiny argument. Um, What was the guy's name? Was it, uh, I forget, was it Richard Florida? Was that his name? Who wrote about, you know, demographic, or no, no, uh, Metexas, Metaxas. Richard Metaxas, I think was his name. Anyway, talking about how, oh, you got all of these uh, immigrant uh, uh, classes coming in and they're going to provide the, uh, uh, the, the voters for the future Democratic Party. So demographics is destiny. And, oh, you white people are dying, right? You won't be in power. Like that whole argument. The loudest voice is on the left. And so that's why, so when you go all in on those strategies, you just keep, you know, marching forward. Progress. The loudest voices on the left today are very online, young, educated, woke, white progressives. As Democratic data guru David Shore noted last year, quote, as Democrats have traded non-college educated voters for college educated ones, 
white liberals' share of voice and clout in the Democratic Party has gone up. White liberals have become more powerful in the Democratic Party. And since white voters are sorting based on ideology more than non-white voters, we've ended up in a situation where white liberals are more left-wing than black and Hispanic Democrats on pretty much every issue. In their minds, they're on the right side of history, and that history must be constantly progressing. And because progressives are always pushing for progress, they are the aggressors in the culture war. Or as Kevin Drum, the liberal journalist formerly with Washington Monthly and Mother Jones put it, quote, it is not conservatives who have turned American politics into a culture war battle. It is liberals. That's because according to Drum, since 1994, Democrats have moved left far more than Republicans moved right. And what that means now is that the Democratic Party's brand is so toxic that in some races in small towns, rural areas, They're not even identifying themselves as Democrats on their campaign literature. That's how toxic the brand is. Defund the police. Yeah, all of it. Toxic. Internal polling reveals a big warning, too, on COVID. We'll get to that up next. (laughs) 